0: You're listening to the Music Interval Theory Podcast with T.C. and Frank. Well, the first thing I want to say is thank you uh, for coming and spending a little time in the South at this, uh, what, what we call uh, Harbor Landing Drive House. Uh, this is really, really great to see you, Nathaniel Iverson.
1: Yes, it's wonderful to be here.
0: And, and uh, you know, I've known you for a long time now. It's true. And you've always had some really amazing adventures. <laughs> Aside from your beautiful family, which I'm going to ask you about a little bit later, mm. later on. But uh, uh, I really want to get into this project that you have going. That just seems so phenomenal to an average guy like myself, and that is, that you have commissioned a one of a kind in the world. Not just a grand piano, but a nine foot eleven inch
1: yeah, pretty close
0: grand piano. That has a huge uh, keyboard on it because it has a hundred. 12
1: yes 112 keys
0: oh my gosh so I before we even get any further than, than that let me ask you this must have been quite a decision for you to make hmm and because this is uh, very expensive I'm guessing it's beyond what I even think it is but I know it's got to be super expensive and and if you don't mind me asking uh, what did your wife have to say about it? And how did you handle uh, coordinating this? Because I know that you and, and Laura are very comfortable <laughs> together. But I also know that this was a, a very personal thing for mm. you. So, you know, I'm not asking you to get too personal. Sure, sure. Just give me just a little bit of what the road was like.
1: Yeah, well, I think that for me... Um, looking at world-class pianos, think of Steinways, Busendorfers, Fazziolis, this level of instrument is something that I've done off and on for 25 years. Um, Once I discovered how nice they sound, um, I called my wife once from Steinway Hall in New York City and said, I found what it takes to make my piano playing sound good. And she said, what? I said, (laughs) $92,800. And she said, well, you're going to need to keep practicing on what you have. (laughs) And so when you actually play as a pianist on a super fine concert instrument, I mean, it'd probably be the same as playing on a very nice handmade guitar. Um, It's not only that the tone is good, but, um, you know, everything about it is better. It projects better. It sings better. The the playing experience is pleasurable. And usually they do something nice with the cosmetics as well. So true. And so that experience, when you have it on a grand piano, is just unfortunately just very expensive. And so over the years, I'd played Faziolis and Busendorfer's and Bechstein and all of the top manufacturers in the world. And I developed preferences and kind of learned what I liked, but they were very, very much out of reach. And so uh, we had some very positive things happen uh, with our finances. And I was in the position where it was kind of like, well, I maybe it's time that I could actually look at getting a, a dream piano, if you will. And you have to understand, I have a very nice piano. I have a seven and a half foot Yeah. presently. It's very recordable and it's been recorded on albums. It's got the recordings have gone to radio. Uh, there's nothing wrong with the piano that I have. If it's the only one I ever had for my life, I could be satisfied. Yeah. But um, I had developed a friendship with Uh, With Wayne Stewart, the proprietor of Stewart and Sons Pianos in Australia, um, you know, about seven years ago and, you know, considered his pianos for about 13. I'd heard a recording of his pianos at one point about 13 years ago, and it was the best recorded piano tone that i would ever heard. I thought if that's what it sounds like recorded, because I've recorded many pianos, I thought the actual instrument is just beyond anything that I've ever played on. And so I had opportunity to visit him once or twice and play the pianos at the factory um, in uh, in Australia. And so when it came time, I thought, well, you know, I don't know, maybe I would, maybe Wayne is still making pianos. Maybe he's still selling them. He's in his seventies. I didn't know if he was still building, if he had retired. And so I kind of reached out and just said, hey, you know, would, would you, you know, you have any pianos that you would sell? Or are you still building? And, you know, he came back and basically said, well, he said, I'm not selling any of the pianos I have. They're part of a rental pool that I use for projects here in Australia. Um, and I have one piano left in me.
0: Oh, man. So that's all he said is that I have one left in me. He didn't say I'm building it or I'm... No, he
1: was not going to build it until he found somebody who was going to buy it. Wow. You know, because for him, it represents two years of life work. And so you don't build these on spec. It's more like an architect that an architect does great work. Yes. But there's someone who is paying the architect to design the house and is going to live in it. The architect doesn't just make the plans for nothing.
0: Yeah. And so
1: this is like that in that the piano was going to need to be commissioned. Yeah. And so um, he gave me an eye-watering price, and I kind of had to think about that. And it was like, well, you know, on the one hand, I, I have the dollars. Yeah. What was the price? Um, well, the price is in the neighborhood of a Ferrari.
0: Oh, my gosh.
1: Um, it's it's expensive. You could buy a house in many parts of the country, here in America anyway. You could buy a house for this amount of money. Okay. And that is in line with concert grants. If you were to buy a nine-foot concert grant from Steinway or from Busendorfer or any of these, these are instruments that start at $200,000 and go up from there. Yeah. So. There's a big price jump compared to the instruments that most of us have in our homes because usually these instruments are not bought by people, yeah, and they're not bought by artists, yeah. So,
0: I I don't want to interrupt you, but I do want to interrupt Mm. you. Uh, and I don't don't expect you to tell me exactly how much you pay for it, but was it more than 200,000? It was a lot more, yes, a real lot more, yes, (laughs) okay. Well, that's going to be interesting, isn't it?
1: <laughs> okay. <laughs> and so, of course, like if you're going to spend this kind of money and you're in a quality relationship with another human being, you're probably not going to do this by yourself. Yeah. Um, like this is going to be a decision that you're going to take as a, as a, as a couple, as a partnership, um, and you're going to make it together. And so, um, you know, I have spent time in my life in sales. Yes. And as my wife would tell you, I have sold her things, yeah. <laughs> some yes. of which she's been happy with and some of which she may not have been as happy about, you know. Yeah. And so, but I knew that on something like this, I needed honesty. I needed to to have a check, if you would, on my own ambition and my own desires. Yes. And so I started the process of talking to friends and mentors and other people like, I'm considering making this rather large investment in this rather impractical for most people thing. Um, But I'm thinking about this and everybody was like, oh, that sounds great. That's like, that's amazing. You should totally do that. And I'm thinking to myself, I don't know that this is helping. Oh my God. <laughs> um, and then so with my wife, what I did is I thought, OK, I'm just going to give her um, the correspondence that Wayne and I had that basically says what he wants to make and what the price is and all of that. So there's that. And then I'd written in my journal what I thought the piano meant artistically. And I think we'll probably get into that at some point. Like, yes. why would I make this decision? Yes. And so I'd written that down for me. So in other words, it wasn't written as a sales pitch. It was just my thoughts about this piano. Like me trying to think through, should I buy this piano or should I spend half as much and buy, you know, a Steinway or a, or a Busendorfer, which would be dream instruments, right? Yeah. And so... Um, I just kind of slid that across the table where I didn't say anything. And so it took her a couple minutes to read the correspondence, to to read my journal page. And she was quiet for a second. I thought, man, next person to talk. It's like, it's not me. Wow. Um, and so she just looked at me and she said, well, that's about the most you thing that you have ever proposed. Oh, wow. um, and she was like, that's an amazing opportunity. Like, I think you should do it and I mean, a, what a wonderful thing, but I will tell you how I experienced that was actually his fear mixed with terror because I, like I was holding it very loosely because I mean, a, it's a dream that like, you, you're not even sure if this is a dream that's going to come true, right? Like it's maybe a desire or a wish. And yet here, everyone in my life is saying, dude, you should do that. That's incredible. You should totally do that. And so I'm sitting here with the money and I can do it. And it's now it's like my wife is like, yeah, we we should do that.
0: Wow. That speaks volumes for your wife. Indeed. And you, yes.
1: Indeed. And for the support that she's always had for my music and for who I am as a person. Wow. And so at that point, there was like, that's when it fully hit me emotionally that I'm about to spend an amount of money that I never thought I would have on a thing I never thought I would own that is, in my opinion, the best of its kind that's ever been made in the world. And it's the chance to own a Rembrandt or a Monet
0: yeah.
1: um, or something like that, that it's a piece of Western civilization. And so, you know, that then kicked off the process of actually, you know, commissioning this piano. But we should probably at some point take a moment and talk about what is this piano actually?
0: Yeah, I think I want to. I just wanted to preface what the road was mm. to get to that point. And I just have a couple more yeah. small, small things to ask you. So after that, and you recovered from your um, uh, initial emotional responses, yeah, uh,
1: you had to obviously communicate with Wayne. Sure, I did, yes. And what was that like? Well, it's actually kind of fun. I mean, Wayne and I have built a friendship over the years. And so uh, it very quickly devolved into us um, you know, trading trading stories back and forth like we were two Scotsmen sitting over a, over a, a a wee dram, um, and so we we started communicating back and forth because he's getting more and more excited because this is he's been building pianos for you know 40 years and this is his dream to be able to do his best work and to extend the art of piano making further than he's taken it than anyone has ever taken it. And now he has somebody that wants to partner with him on what he would acknowledge as a wild adventure Wow! and so you know when that happens there's excitement on both sides of the table both you know for me as the recipient of this thing ultimately but for him as being able to create and having the freedom to work to the highest standards of excellence um, that's very freeing as an artist to basically like, if you say, well, like, what's, what's your dream as an artist? Well, it's like that I get to work on what I find joy in. I want to write what I want to write. So, if you were hanging out at that time together face-to-face, to face, mm. you would have been having a drink
0: and... Probably been, so. Been, ...been getting funny. Huh? <laughs> okay. Uh, so, I, then let me ask this question. I know this is going to be... Well, true or false. Mm. This is going to be the biggest uh, keyboard, the longest keyboard, the most notes in the world. This is true. And whose idea? Was that your
1: idea or no, his? No, no, this, this is Wayne's. Okay. Um, Wayne, uh, Wayne Stewart, we should at some point pot, like talk a little bit about Wayne. I'll, I'll highlight it really quickly. Okay. When Wayne was in his, um, uh, his 20s, uh, he started the journey of becoming a piano tech at 16. And there was a special training program in the Australian government. They decided they didn't have enough piano technicians nationwide. And so the government put on a scholarship so they could train more piano technicians. So Wayne learned how to tune pianos, repair the hammers, all the normal, like, mechanical things in a piano. He did that for a couple of years. And then he had an opportunity and took it to move to Tokyo. And he actually went to the Yamaha factory. Hmm. And he was part of their factory team, and he learned how Yamaha builds pianos and became a Yamaha master technician that would tune their concert grands for the finest pianists in the world to come and play them. And after that, he decided, you know, now that I know how they build pianos with automation in Japan, I don't know how they build pianos by hand in Europe. And so again, like barely 20, 23 years old, he heads off to Austria and the Busendorfer factory And he becomes a Busendorfer Master Technician. you have to understand, there's a handful of people in the world that are good enough to be Busendorfer Master Technicians. These are the finest people in the world. Yeah. And he's preparing pianos literally for the top classical and jazz pianists in the world.
0: Unbelievable.
1: And so he learns how they make these pianos by hand at the Busendorfer factory where it's been handed down for, you know, 10 generations. Wow,
0: that's amazing.
1: And the whole time he has a dream to go back to Australia and build his own piano. He's trying to learn how to build a piano. That's his ambition in his early 20s is, I want to build my own piano. And so he eventually decides I've learned what I can from Yamaha, I've learned what I can from Busendorfer, I'm going back to Australia and starting to build pianos. Amazing. And so he comes back to Australia, lives near a university with a math department so that he can have somebody start to do the plate design and calculate the acoustics and the resonance of the metal plates that house the strings. And so it takes him a couple years to get the designs done. And then he builds an upright piano. That turns out, he decides, I want to build a grand piano. And so he then finds investors who will help him build a company. And he builds, you know, 50 pianos or so um, out of a piano factory, all of them having more than 88 keys. He never built a piano with 88 notes wow that's incredible well if a busendorfer has a piano with 97 notes the busendorfer imperial it's had 97 notes for 150 years or something like that and it's the piano you can buy that has the most notes so what did he do 97 notes? he started with 97 notes and then he figured out that there was new piano wire available and the new piano wire could actually be tightened and not break because of advances in metallurgy, he could actually go from 97 to 102 keys. So he started and built pianos for better part of a decade that had 102 keys.
0: Did those extend on both ends, the high end and the low end equally? They did.
1: Um, actually, a little bit more on the bass than on the treble in, the, in those instruments. Okay. Um, so the, uh, the Busendorfer pianos would go down to the F. Like normally on a piano, the A is the lowest note. So imagine going down to the F, and that gets you to to, ni- to, to 97 notes, and he took it all the way down to the C.
0: Ah.
1: So that you had kind of a C as the lowest note on the piano instead of the A. Right. so you can imagine that going down that sixth you get all yeah. of those notes yeah. and so that was the the big thing and then it went up to f um on the other end of the piano
0: wow so so it went up uh, five intervals on top yes and eight intervals on the bottom yeah because we think in terms of of, of like semitones yes yeah
1: yes and so um that was the case for a large number of years and he built those pianos some of them sold to um, to into Australia into concert halls and things like that. Some of them sold to private parties, some of them sold into China um, and to other places, people bought those, those pianos. Um, I believe there's one or two in, in America of his pianos total. There's either one or two, I don't know exactly, but I think two were sold into America over the total lifespan of the company prior to my order. So these are things that are not really available. Most of them are in private homes, and they're not something you can go play and so you have to go to the factory to play them and ultimately uh wayne kind of retired that company kept the company but moved it from newcastle out into um into the country and had a, a smaller operation that was doing smaller amounts of pianos and along the way he realized i could build a 108 key piano and i could move from the c on top up to the f he'd already done the bottom now I can do the top. And so we could add those notes from 102 to 108 on the top end of the piano.
0: Wow.
1: And so he went ahead and did that. And uh, two of those pianos are at a concert facility in, um, in Australia. Um, and the other one sold to a, to a private individual. Okay. And so he made three pianos with 108 keys. Um, and a couple composers composed original music that was impossible on any previous piano. And Wayne's lifelong desire is to see the piano extend, to see it evolve, to for it to be more useful to composers, to have new color, to have new dynamics and new dimensions. And so part of that is its pitch, like go playing higher and lower. Part of it's the volume, the brightness or, you know, you know, softness of the instrument tonally and the overtones, if you think about that. Mm-hmm. And so he he said man like this is this is great and there was a breakthrough in wire once again and new wire was available from a maker in in france someone that draws wire and he realized that he would be able to take the piano to 112 keys which is from c um the subcontra c all the way up um to the c an octave above so this is a piano that is a full octave lower and a full octave higher than the standard piano. My instrument will go to the A that is below that C. So it's the A that if you take the bottom A on a piano and do a full octave, it'll be there. And And how
0: many hertz is that? 14. Wow.
1: 14 hertz, there are five harmonics by the time you hit 80 hertz. (laughs) Wow, and what about the high end? The high end actually goes to the C that is an octave higher than the C on a standard piano. So on a standard piano, the top C has a frequency, it's around 4,000 hertz. Okay. Um, So that means that an octave higher, it's double. So that means the fundamental frequency of that top note is 8,000 hertz, which means that the first harmonic is at 16,000 hertz. Which not everybody
0: my me, age can hear it.
1: That's right. I, I I don't have hearing at that at that myself from too many years on airplanes and loud music. Yeah. So the reality is is that those high notes, um, their their harmonics go you know into the stratosphere you know yeah. almost immediately. So it's the exact same range as a huge pipe organ. Wow. So it's a piano that actually covers pretty much the entire audible frequency as terms of, you know, pitches that we use in, in music from the very lowest sub bass uh, that's even in electronic music. Like think of dance music that's only made with synthesizers. This piano can acoustically produce those tones at the low end as an acoustic instrument.
0: Awesome. That's awesome. Wow. Okay. So, so let's get into the piano, the, the, mm-hmm. the, the, construction of the piano and some of that stuff
1: okay very good so the the piano is made much like an ordinary piano in many ways like it looks like a piano it's longer it's wider because it has 112 keys instead of 88 or 97 or 102 or 108 it has all these extra keys so it's got to be wider and it's longer uh because wayne found out that it actually sounds better like if you the piano longer then you don't have to put as much windings on the bass strings and so they actually have a better tone. Huh. And so the piano is long, the piano is three meters long, and if you work that back into um, you know, American measure, uh, then it works out to, you know, nine, ten and three quarter inches or something like that. So okay. it's, it's, a, it's a long piano. It's a long, big piano that'll weigh about 1600 pounds. Yeah. Now, once you're past the surface of the piano, there are a number of things that Wayne has done that actually innovate the piano and make it very not like other pianos. Once you start looking past the shape of the thing, it starts to get different very, very quickly. And I'll just talk about a couple of these things and their tonal or musical implications, if you will. Sure. One of them is how the strings actually attach to the soundboard or to the plate. In a grand piano, the strings stretch from the pin block on the one end where the keys are, and they go across the soundboard and then they terminate on the bridges, wooden bridges that then transfer the vibration into the soundboard. Same principle as a guitar, you've got the bridge with the nut in it, the string vibrates, the vibrations pass through the bridge and make the top vibrate. This is exactly how a piano works, the strings go down, they terminate on the bridge with a pin, they're wound like and bent past a pin and that establishes the speaking length of the string, that vibrates, the vibration passes through the wood bridge onto the soundboard and that actually makes the tone that, that we hear as a piano. So, It's been done by taking a string and stretching it, winding it through a couple of bent pins and then it goes and attaches to the metal, you know, frame um, a little bit further on. And that's how pianos have been built for several hundred years. Okay. well, what Wayne did is when you do that, the strings, of course, are metal and they're pulled tight and they're pushing down on the bridge. And so in most grand pianos, the down bearing, as it's called, is close to two thousand pounds. So, the strings are pushing on the soundboard with a pressure of almost 2,000 pounds. And so, you can imagine if you put 2,000 pounds of weight on a piece of wood, does it vibrate as freely as if it had no weight on it? It, It's going to dampen the vibrations, isn't it? Yep. It is. And so, what Wayne thought is, I could make the piano sing more if there wasn't as much weight pushing on the soundboard. Well, how do I get the weight off of the soundboard? Well, I need to terminate the strings differently. And so he invented um, something that he calls a -a bridge-a-graph. It's a little little device that the string passes over and under something instead of sideways through it. And the over and under allowed him to not put as much force on the bridge. And so there's almost no downbearing weight in his pianos. Amazing. The soundboard does not have 2,000 pounds of stuff sitting on top of it, and it's much freer to vibrate. And so what that means is the piano can play a little louder, it's true. It also means that the piano can be brighter. See, the soundboard acts as a filter to the sound. You think of like a, a filter like for a synthesizer where you're tuning the filter and it gets duller as you cut the high end off. Well, the wood acts as a filter to tone down the inharmonicity or the brightness of the piano. You'll notice if you ever play a really old piano, they're always very dull and warm. They yeah. have no brilliance to them. And that's because... All of the metallic tone is getting absorbed by the wood. There's like, it's, it's not ringing out anymore. The, the, the resonance is gone. And so in his pianos, they can be a little bit brighter because there's... And so some of the harmonics of the attack just last a little longer.
0: Oh, I see. Wow.
1: And so it, it can add more articulation and brightness, particularly as you play hard. The piano will actually play brighter than a Steinway or brighter than a European piano if you really set the attack hard. And so that gives an additional color or an additional gear that's just not available on a standard piano. That's incredible. And so this innovation in how we terminated the strings is also matched, like, so that establishes, okay, it can be a little louder, it can be a little brighter. But what if I don't want it brighter? What if I want a really singing tone? You know, that's that's more of a classical tone, like you might use for Mozart or something like that, where I don't want it to be bright and cut through an orchestra playing Rachmaninoff. I actually want it to just be luscious and lyrical. Well, it turns out that the piano will also play softer and more lyrically than any other piano. Most pianos have four pedals, or three pedals rather, yeah. on the bottom. And one of them is the sustain pedal. You've got the unicorda and the sostenuto pedal. And so these kind of give you some other shadings of sound. The Sostenuto pedal is kind of the mini sustain pedal, right? It only holds down just the notes that you're playing. So if I play CEG, press the Sostenuto pedal, then it's only going to hold down CEG and I can go play other things. Yeah. So it's kind of a selective sustain pedal. Yeah. The Una corda pedal is sometimes called the shift pedal or the soft pedal. That's the one on a grand piano that if you press it down, it can hook a little bit to the side and catch. And when you do that, it moves the hammers over so they only hit two strings instead of three. Oh, or they only true. hit one string instead of two in the parts of the bass that have two strings. they shifts It mechanically shifts the hammers over so they don't hit as many strings. And so that drops the volume slightly and also slightly changes the timbre. But it mostly just lowers the volume a little bit. And so that's the extent of the expression that's possible on a normal concert grand instrument from anybody or those three pedals. Well, Wayne added a fourth pedal that could be called a soft blow pedal or, um, you know, I don't know what you'd call it or a soft pedal. What it actually does is it mechanically raises the hammers halfway to the strings. So when you push it, the hammers actually raise and when you push it all the way to the bottom, the hammers are halfway to the string, which means they can't develop the same amount of velocity. So they're going to play softer and they will always hit the strings with less velocity than if they were coming all the way from the bottom, resting on the rail and flying up to hit the strings. And so the interesting thing about this pedal is that it's continuous. It's not just on and off. So you can press it a little bit. You can press it a lot. And so if you press that pedal all the way down, so they're halfway up the sound is very soft and muted and doesn't have a lot of overtones. It has a lot more fundamental in it. And so it's a very singing lyrical sound. The interesting thing is it hasn't changed any of the actual playing feel as far as how, long, how much does a key depress or anything else. So with the soft blow pedal down, you can play forte, but it will never play as loud as with the pedal down. And so you get an entirely new piano that has a lowered harmonic complexity.
0: Wow, that's
1: amazing. With that fourth pedal. And the fourth pedal can also be taken with the shift pedal. So you can raise the hammers and then shift the action and hit less strings, and now you can play quietly almost to the edge of silence you can play things that are just you can't play that softly on any other piano no matter how fancy and how well prepared it is you will not be able to play as quietly as you can on a stewart and son's piano with four pedals but you'll need both feet
0: to hit the two pedals at once or is it designed so one foot can hit two pedals
1: they are actually placed side by side so that your foot can take both of those pedals at the same time i see and this is one of the differences. Fazioli is a piano that also adds the soft blow um, pedal to their very largest piano. Um, and on that Concert Grand, there is a fourth pedal, but they set it far enough aside that you can't do it with the other pedal. Oh, I see. Um, it's kind of like we have a regular piano and then there's the extra over there. And Wayne thinks that it's part of the piano. And so it's right there where you can take it with one foot. Now, the other innovation that Wayne has done down in the pedal department is... The unicorda pedal, as I mentioned, you're able to push it down and slide it over with your foot and it will lock so that the shift stays shifted until you unshift it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, what if you wanted to lock down the soft pedal? What if you wanted to lock down the sostenuto pedal? Yeah. What if you wanted to lock down the sustain pedal? Like you're doing some kind of really modern work where you're bouncing super balls around inside the piano or something and you just want it to ring out and make a huge noise. Well, pianos don't do that. You have to put a brick on it or something like to hold the pedal down. Yeah. Well, he's developed something that he calls the sauce locker, sauce denudo locker. And on my piano, all four pedals are lockable. Wow. You can actually, with your foot, manipulate the pedal in such a way easily that you can lock any or all of the pedals into the position that they're in. Um, And so that's another innovation that just doesn't exist on other instruments. It's an expressive potential that's built into the instrument that's available to extend the vocabulary of the piano. So what we have musically is we have a piano that will play higher and lower than any other instrument, just in terms of the pitches that are available from low to high. So that's the 112 keys. We have a piano that will play brighter and softer than any other instrument harmonically, like more harmonics, less harmonics, and that's because of those bridgeographs and allowing more vibration to happen on the soundboard so it can be harmonically brighter but because you can raise the hammers you can also play softer than any other piano with less harmonic complexity so that's brighter and softer and because the soundboard is larger than other pianos it can play louder and because of the soft pedal plus the shift pedal it can play softer than any other piano as well just from an acoustics perspective and so in many of these objective ways of measuring a piano, it is objectively a more expressive instrument than anything that has been made before, because it can go higher, lower, brighter, softer, louder, softer.
0: And it's the only one in the world, or will be it is, the only one It in is the, the only
1: world. one in the world.
0: Okay. So I just want to segue, and this is a quick one. Mm. So more than 250,000? Yes. Okay. Yes. All right. I'll lay off for a little yeah. while.
1: And the fun thing is, is like if you're going to do a piano like this, you do want it to be beautiful. Yes. If it's, it's going to be a work of art, it should actually look the part. But it's made of wood. Right? It's I mean, made of wood. But what are pianos? How are pianos normally finished? Black. Black. And right. And do you know why pianos are normally finished in black? No. Okay. It's called ebonizing. They basically take a black dye and they just pour it all over the wood and paint the wood. Why would you paint wood? Well, because it's not beautiful to look at. I understand. Wow. And so originally, ebonizing was a way to cut the cost of pianos because you didn't have to use fancy wood veneer. You didn't have to have beautiful looking wood. Um, You could have rather... Ordinary looking wood or very inexpensive wood. And if you're just going to stain it black, it doesn't matter if the wood's structurally good enough, it gets used and then you ebonize it. You make it really glossy and shiny and you call it a day. (laughs) And I will tell you that that Wayne has never made an ebonized piano and would be absolutely horrified if you suggested that he ebonize a piano. His pianos have mostly been covered with rare and exotic wood from Australia. Yeah. Um, they In Australia, here in America, we have the biggest trees in the world. They have the oldest trees in the world, the bristlecone pines.
0: Interesting.
1: Um, these pines are 4,500 years old.
0: Oh, my gosh.
1: They're the oldest living things on the planet. And they're, of course, protected beyond all belief. But from time to time, storms hit them or they die. And, and then there's this wood. And what happens to the wood? Well, the Australian government has a special process where if you're an artist, you can apply to have access to the wood from these Huon pine trees. Wow. And so for a number of years, he was able to get access to this wood. And many of his pianos are are done in this Huon pine that's 4,500 years old. My gosh. And they're stunningly beautiful. Um, You know, he's built with other very high-end veneers, but all of his pianos have had natural wood finishes Um, Some of them have been Art Deco and in different styles. And so one of the questions that we had early on is, what are the cosmetics of this piano going to be? Uh Um, And so we talked about it could be walnut or like what's a really high figure species. And obviously, if you look at the European pianos, they have a lot of like really expensive veneers like Amboina or Walnut or, you know, some of these kind of things, various flamed maples and things like this that, you know, can be available. The trick with a piano, of course, is, is that pianos are huge. And so the amount of like fancy wood that you'd put on a guitar to make a guitar top look really great. It doesn't go very far. And so it's hard to find species that have a lot of wood and a lot of interesting wood and in, like amounts big enough to cover a piano. Yeah. And as we were talking, I said to Wayne, I said, what do you think about, you know, figured redwood? Because um, I'm from California. Um, we have redwoods very near to our house. And um you can have beautiful redwood conference tables and other things with lots of figure in them and I said what do you think of doing redwood and he loved the idea. He just lit up and he was like that's exactly what we're doing. We're not even considering anything else. <laughs> um he said the piano's going to California. It's going to be dressed in California's finest. Like let's do it. Yeah. And so the nervous part for me is I was commissioned to actually go find the wood. Really? Well, I'm the one in California. Um, And so I got tasked and so we, the largest Redwood Burl dealer in the country and in the world is actually in Northern California, about three and a half hours from where I live. Uh And so um, I drove up, I made an appointment and drove up to this, um, to this wood dealer that deals in Redwood Burls, conference tables, like slabs of wood that are going to be, you know, become tabletops and counters and, you know, beautiful objects. And um, walked through the, through multiple warehouses being shown different wood. And I'm a little bit nervous because my profession is not being a woodworker. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm supposed to pick out this stuff that's good enough for Wayne, yeah. for his life work, for this masterpiece piano. And I've never done this before. Yeah, good for you. Though, and really so it? we're looking at wood. And um, I'm not really very excited by what I'm being shown. And I can tell that the guy is testing me. You know, he's, he's like kind of seeing like what will you be satisfied with? You know, like, am uh-huh. I going to show you the good stuff? First, I have to know that you actually know what the good stuff is before I show you the good stuff. Like, yeah. if I can sell you the low end stuff, you're going to get the low end stuff. And I'm just not excited by what I'm seeing. I'm like, this is not going on the piano. Right. And I had my hand resting on a board. Um, and these stacks of wood are 13, 15 feet high. Okay. So you can't see the surface of the board. All I can see is the edge of the board. And I looked down and I realized that the board had perfectly even wavy stripes the entire length of the board, which means that that wave is in the board. Like there's a high figure in this board. And I said, um, I said, does that figure go across the entire board? And because I, all I can see is the edge. And he said, oh, we're going to go there, are we? <laughs> and I thought, you stinker. You're yeah. wasting my time and all this low-end wood. It's like, yes, I want to go there. And if you've got better than there, I want to go there too. Yeah. And so he got the, his driver got the forklift and they dig this wood out of the pile. And it is just explosively beautiful. It's as good as the wood that would go into a guitar top, only this board's nine feet long. Wow. And there's five of these boards. Yeah. There's more than enough for my piano. I need two boards to send a wane of these big slabs, three inches thick, nine feet long, you know, two, three feet wide. Um, to send to Wayne. And so I choose two of the boards and then I kind of can't help myself. I just buy a third one anyway. Yeah. Um, And so that, like, I ended up buying this wood and you know it's middle of the night for Wayne, so I can't consult him. And so I've just bought the wood without Wayne even seeing it. Wow. And so we load the wood onto the back of my truck and like ultimately my son and I built a shipping container um, out of wood. And uh, this stuff then went and got fumigated because you can't send agricultural species between countries because they're afraid of insects and pests Um, and so we had to do all this stuff and get it certified and um, then it went on a ship and traveled for three weeks down to australia wayne got it through customs and you know ultimately this wood is is there and then he used a bandsaw to veneer it to take these three slabs and then make 38 sheets of veneer wow of redwood burl veneer
0: and you do that with a bandsaw
1: yeah Yeah, um, a big one. And so that process ultimately produced what's the outside of this piano. And obviously I can't really describe it exactly except to say that it's explosively beautiful. It's a 3D, like if you've seen wavy curly maple or curly walnut that looks 3D on a guitar top, the entire piano looks like that in 3D.
0: Yeah, well maybe Uh, we can get some pictures later.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, But it's, so it will be a beautiful instrument. It's an imposing instrument. Um, and it's a capable instrument. So wow, that's so, so that's amazing. that's that's the instrument. And I think, um, for me, I think the instrument has relevance musically in a couple of interesting ways. Um the first is if you think of it as a composer, what's the usefulness as a composer? Well, how many people have written music for a hundred and twelve key instrument?
0: I can't name anybody.
1: None. None. There's like two that have written something for 108-key piano. Yeah. So it is the opportunity to literally write for a new instrument. But yet it's a familiar instrument. People know what a piano is. It's recognizable as piano music. But as a composer, you have access to a bigger palette than you ever have before. You have access to a better dynamic palette. You can write, you know, triple P and actually have it mean something. Because what does triple P mean to double P on, an, on a standard instrument?
0: Yeah, it depends on the instrument.
1: I don't know. Yeah. But I know that on the Stuart & Sons, you can go ahead and press the soft pedal and you now have triple P. Yeah. Like it's something that that can be a meaningful musical gesture. And if you have, if expression is just contrast, you now have more contrast available. You have more harmonic contrast available as a composer to, you know, have different effects, to cut through orchestras or to cut through synthesizers. You have more brightness to be able to do these things. And so I think as a composer, there's a relevance. If you think about being an improviser, someone who plays jazz or plays improvised music, not in jazz, but in some other way, the piano is, an ex- is just the most amazing canvas you've ever had. Because again, you have extra notes, you have extra pedals, you have locking sostenuto pedals. We did some things that are very unique inside the piano. You would be aware that some people will do what's called prepared piano, where they put sure. pencils and other things inside the piano to change the sound. I hope you um, don't do that. Well, I'm not saying, but I might. <laughs> but the piano is prepared for people to do things under the hood. Yeah. Um, in a, when you're under the hood in a piano, one of the first challenges you face is that all of the hammers, all of the, the, the dampers, are all black and they just go all the way down the instrument. So where's C? Where's C sharp? Uh, If you're going to work on the piano. If you're going to work on the piano, you have to kind of press the key and you can note where it is and then put a little sticky note on it. If you've ever seen the inside of a prepared piano, they're a hot mess because someone has had to put little stickers or flags or, you know, post-it notes or whatever they need to do so they know what string is what. And one of the things I asked, Wayne, is can we mark the tops of the dampers with the white black pattern of the keys. So that when you're looking over the hood, you know that there's a C there an F there or whatever, because you see the white black pattern down the tops of the key of the, of the dampers. So you can actually navigate, um, you know, inside the piano um, if you're wanting to dampen strings with your hand or, you know, something like that. And the piano is strung with stainless steel wire. Mm-hmm. No brass windings. And so that means that the oils on your fingers will not corrode the strings. Normally, if you reach inside and touch your grand piano strings, you're going to have a very expensive problem called restringing your piano when they tarnish and rust. Yeah. Um, and inside this piano, you will never have that problem. So if people do want to, as improvisers, do strange and unusual things inside the piano, it's built for it. You know where it's going and you won't damage it. Um, when you do that and so for an improviser i think there's a world of you know possibility there um, that isn't possible in other pianos and so it's going to let people go into new sonic territory with their improvisations
0: yeah amazing
1: and so you think then about a performer they're the other person that uses a piano they're not a composer they're not an improviser they're going to play sheet music what does the piano offer for somebody that might just be playing beethoven which Beethoven certainly didn't write for 112 keys. You're not going to use them. Mm-hmm. And you're going to stay totally within the 88 notes. What does the piano offer for that?
0: Dynamics.
1: Dynamics. And it still offers the bright dark. It still offers the louder softer. It offers all those things. The other thing is this. Have you ever noticed that at the very top end of a piano, the notes get a little plinky? Yes. Like they're not as resonant as the notes closer in. Yeah. All of those plinky notes got pushed an octave further. And so what that means is the top end of the piano sings. The, I the, the note that would be the highest note on an 88-note instrument, it sings as well as middle C does.
0: Because all the other sympathetic vibrations.
1: Well, because the actual plinky notes got pushed an octave higher up.
0: Hmm, interesting.
1: And so the piano is actually more responsive within the, the 88 notes than any other 88-note instrument. So hmm. the performer... The other thing that does happen in grand pianos is the longer the piano is the better the key feel is Hmm. and that is simply because if a piano mathematically the hammers have to strike the strings at a certain percentage of the string length so as the piano gets longer the hammer line has to be further into the instrument
0: Mm -hmm. which
1: means that you have a longer key and if you think about a long lever versus a short lever the longer lever you have, the more control you can have over the movement at the back end. Yeah. So a longer piano is always going to have more dynamic control and key feel than a shorter piano. So the keys actually have more controllability than even an 88 you know, concert grand piano from the finest people in the world. Wow. So that's for amazing. somebody that's just a performer, they're not going to innovate in any of the new ways but they're going to just do standard piano things on it they will actually find themselves on an instrument that has an unparalleled kind of feel and action and capability so how long is it
0: actually going to take this piano to be built
1: i don't know this is one of those things that takes as long as it takes and if you think about it i don't really want to rush wayne (laughs) no. <laughs> like he's he's busy doing something hard for the very first time, and so it's literally going to take as long as it takes. Now, um, that said, um, the piano itself will be constructed in roughly about fifteen to eighteen months from the time that I started the order. Um, when was that? Um, this would have been February in twenty twenty two. Okay. Um, so you know we're coming up to about the time that the finishing of the piano. Uh, was initially expected. There have been a few delays, as there often are for large projects. Nothing major, and the piano will probably complete sometime in the next, you know, month or two from the time that we're filming this. Um, and will you receive the piano
0: after that? Or? I will
1: not. No. I will not. And that's the interesting thing. And this is the things that I didn't know. I mean, I'm used to going to a piano dealer or a showroom, and then I play the wondrous instruments that they have there, and I don't really know how they got there. I mean, I know that the Busendorfers were made in Austria, and they eventually made their way to New York, or they made their way to San Francisco, or wherever I'm playing them. But the truth is a little more complicated. When you have really fine concert instruments, apparently they often sit inside the factory fully finished, fully playable, fully tuned for up to a year. Why is that? Well, what's a piano made from? Metal and wood. Metal and wood. And what happens to wood with humidity and seasons and things like that?
0: Yeah, it expands and contracts. Contracts and
1: it makes little adjustments. And so sometimes those adjustments require little adjustments. I see. And so what happens with pianos, most concert instruments are a little different than the ones that are normally inside of our homes. Like the pianos in our homes are built to good tolerances, but they're also built to operate maybe at 75% level, right? And as you get into concert grands, they're designed to operate at the very pinnacle of what's technologically possible. They're kind of like a Formula One car. that's very highly tuned and that means that they can get out of tune I don't mean like musical tune, but I mean like mechanical tune like the the fineness of the action. If you want them to just be the most expressive and have the most control then you need everything to be very close to perfect inside the piano. So these little fine levels can fall out of adjustment as the piano kind of the glues dry and harden you know everything kind of settles in over a period of a couple of months. And so Wayne would like, and I would like, for that to be happen in the factory. Because if that happens there, Wayne can just fix it before it ever gets to me. As opposed to me taking the piano, because like, oh, I can't wait to have my new instrument, send it unfinished to me. Well, then I'm just going to have to fly Wayne over and it's going to be a big hassle to do these little minor adjustments. So that's why I don't actually know the exact date that I'll get it. Wayne's made a whole lot of pianos and he's going to know when it's ready. Yep. And so I it will kind of come when it comes.
0: So you, you just have such faith in him that you're just waiting until it happens and then you're going to deal with it. But when it does happen, yes. That's going to be a heck of a phone call. I'm sure.
1: <laughs> it is.
0: So where let's say how is it going to get here? Is, is it going to be shipped? Is it going it, on the ocean?
1: Is it going to be flown? It's overnight delivery. Oh It's overnight, (laughs) oh my gosh. It's silly. And you think, well, how is that even possible with a 1600 pound object? Well, here's the thing, because it's a piano. I mean, it's it's literally a, a, I mean, there is a price on it, but it's price less in the standpoint that once it's made, like, how do you get another one? It's not easy or maybe even possible.
0: Yeah.
1: So. Do I want this to be in the hold of a ship rocking across the Pacific and Lord knows what humidity and climate conditions for three or four weeks and sitting in dusty warehouses waiting to do things? I I do not. And Wayne doesn't want that either. So actually what happens is it goes in a special custom aluminum shipping container that's built for the piano. And then that gets trucked to Sydney and it goes onto a 747 and it is going to fly in the hold. Um, 17 hours across the Pacific, um, land in the States. You think that plane will be able to take off? (laughs) (laughs) And then what happens is the piano will clear customs and then be trucked to my house. And so, uh, you know, despite it being a very long way away, it's actually going to arrive much quicker than you might think when it comes down to it in the end.
0: That's amazing. Okay. So I'm assuming that I'm the guy responsible for picking that piano up and trucking it. You'll mm. probably do it yourself knowing you. But
1: we will talk about insurance.
0: You, w- yes, we'll talk about insurance, <laughs> but when you when you get to your house, mm. where's the piano going to live?
1: Well, the piano's going to go into my studio.
0: Is your uh, studio big enough or are you redoing it? I'm your doing stu- so
1: I'm I'm doing some renovations to the studio and one thing I did do is I actually built a concrete walkway from my driveway to the back studio door. Um, So that it can actually roll in without stairs. Uh, You know, you think about, you know, I don't don't really want them lifting this piano up, dropping it, anything else. Like I would like it to come off the lift gate, um, breathe deeply when it gets safely off the lift gate. um, And, you know, then watch them roll it into the studio and set it up. Um, You know, so that'll be that'll be a big day. Um,
0: That's a huge
1: day. It'll be the best new instrument day ever. I've been blessed to have many new instrument days. And this is going to be a topper for that. Um, Wayne will actually be there.
0: Oh, that's marvelous.
1: Um, Wayne Wayne comes to all of his pianos to actually, you know, kind of christen them and make sure that they're in proper condition. So um, Wayne will actually come with the piano um, to to set it up and make sure that it's that it's perfect.
0: Okay, so now you've renovated your your studio, hmm. spent a lot of money there. Uh, you've you've got this piano, you've shipped it, you've taken insurance out on it. Uh, are you paying your house okay? Your <laughs> <laughs>
1: it's fine. <laughs> um,
0: <clears throat> so I'm just visualizing. <clears throat> now you have this piano. Yes. And it's the only one in the world. It's
1: the only one in the world.
0: And Wayne probably knows a lot of great pianists. He does. He, he probably knows a pianist that he wants to play this. He does. And that pianist... excuse
1: me, is going to be in your studio. Probably at some point. Yeah, Ashley's a wonderful pianist. He's a delight. Oh, so you have someone. We do. We do. Um, There's a pianist named Ashley Hribar. Uh, You can look him up. H-R-I-B-A-R. He is an Australian concert pianist, um, and he is fully capable of improvised original music as he is of playing the hardest things that Liszt or anybody else has ever written for the instrument. He is a pianist of what I would call fierce capability. Okay. <laughs> uh, he has a, he has an album, actually, that's called, I think, Mephisteles, uh, where he plays his adaptation of the Mephisteles Waltz by Liz. Um, the title track is him playing that on a Stewart and Sons 108 key instrument. Oh, my God. Um, And he took a hard piece and made it harder um, just to demonstrate the full breadth of the instrument. So if you have interest in hearing what these pianos sound like in the hands of a master, that's something that you can actually do on Spotify. You can look up Ashley Haribar um, and, you know, you can listen to him play, um, you know, a variety of different pieces, original and, um, you know, things that are part of the literature. Spell
0: his last name again.
1: H-R-I-B-A-R.
0: Wow, Haribar. Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah. All right. So now uh, Maestro Haribar is going to be at your house. Mm. And I'm sure you're going to have some great conversations with him. And he's probably going to do a various amount of uh, playing. You're going to record him, I know. For sure. Uh, You've told me that already. Yeah, the
1: instrument is for recording.
0: And I figure that you probably have every expensive mic and all the lighting. You're going to do some video. Are you going to ever do a documentary on this whole process? Because this would be like uh, having the whole history of the, the, the most mm. famous Rembrandt mm. uh, in the world.
1: Well, I have had a thought to the future. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when you're doing something historically significant, sometimes it does pay to think, okay, are we actually making history? I don't know, but let's pretend for a moment we are. Yes. If I was, what would I do? Um, so the interesting thing is the conversation between Wayne and I has been entirely an email. And so it hasn't been in Zoom. It hasn't been in phone calls. It's been an email based conversation. And so it is well documented, the decisions that were taken, the communication. And because they're all dated, I have the cadence for when the plate was cast and, you know, all of these different things that would make up the history of this instrument. Um And I even have, you know, some of the correspondence that's been forwarded with suppliers of different parts of the piano and, you know, things like this. So I've got a pretty good record of it. Um, I'll probably be going to see the piano when it's finished in Australia before I get it. In other words, I will go play the instrument in Australia before I play it in my studio. Yeah, And at that time, I may have the opportunity to shoot some footage that, you know, could start to establish a documentary about these pianos and, you know, that that kind of work. So it's a thought that I've had for sure. Okay. So can we talk about
0: you for a minute? We can. Okay. So here's this uh, uh, pretty amazing person, uh, Nathaniel, that has just paid a lot of money. I just know it's more than a certain amount. Uh, I don't know what the amount is yet. I'm hoping by the, <laughs> the, the delivery I'll get a better idea of it. But I just can imagine, since I've bought some expensive things before, this is more than I would ever buy. But, um, and that you're a composer yourself. It's true. It's so true. here you have the best and the biggest and the most unique and the most expressive instrument in the world, are you gonna write something for it?
1: Absolutely. Like, Absolutely. this is the point. Um, Have you
0: started anything or no?
1: We've started some sketching. Okay. And we've started some gathering for for this. I mean, I think that it's safe to say that with something that at least I think is this important, that it's historically significant, that it's very meaningful to the world of piano players, um, this isn't time for a little noodle. Right, well, like, yeah. like, like the moment calls for something of a certain technical capability, it calls for something of a certain expressive capability, and I should have my sights set on making a durable piece of fine art. In other words, not a, a throwaway kind of thing, but something that actually has some gravitas and some, maybe, some historical meaning. So, you know, we're gonna we're gonna try to do high quality work,
0: yeah, of course. And, and
1: you know, really put out something that uh, that is new music for a new piano that's only possible on this instrument but that actually has durable, lasting artistic value.
0: Well, that's amazing. But Let me just uh, clarify something for people who may not really know what you're saying. Mm. When you say gathering, mm. so you're, you're gathering.
1: Yes. Um, you can think of gathering the way an artist would with a sketchbook. So, if you think, if you ever watched a visual artist, like they'll do things all the time, little doodles, drawing the bird that's on a tree, drawing a branch, like drawing the hand in different positions. And these aren't for any particular thing they're just practicing drawing they're gathering ideas they see something that inspires them they write it down and that's what i mean by gathering so ideas it could be a theme maybe i hear some notes that i'm like oh that's beautiful like i like the sound of that maybe i hear a rhythm and i like that rhythm and so i need to just jot that rhythm down maybe i am messing around and i hear some intervals or some combinations of intervals they're like oh that's catchy or i think those intervals man that's dark like that that really like That has a feel to it of of like this emotion. But I think I like it. Um, And so I might jot those intervals down. And then I might play with those intervals. I might start looking at what they look like in PC. I might start looking at like, well, what if I use those as the, the root line? I use those intervals for the root line. What happens if I use them in the melody? Yeah. What if I use them as vertical structures? That's I don't great. know. Like, What do these intervals do in the dark if you leave them alone? And so you can do what's called gathering to start to just play with ideas. And the nice thing is, it's very stress free. Because I'm not writing a piece of music, I'm not trying to compose a masterpiece, I'm just gathering ideas that I find interesting, that I find musical or, or that seem maybe they would go together. Yeah. Um, and you can kind of play. And I find that part really fun. Uh, because there's not a lot of rules. It's just, do I like it and do I want to explore it? And yeah. so you write and explore things, and we call that gathering inside of Mita.
0: Oh, I see. So so you have uh, uh, 112 notes to gather.
1: Indeed. Yeah. We have plenty of, of places that we can play.
0: And so, so because in Mita, we have a lot of composers, mm. of course, and thankfully you're one of them, uh, and one of the, the good ones, I might say. And... Um, uh, so, gathering is something that I understood m- musically, but but it's not necessarily one way to do things. Each composer has its his own way it's of true. gathering. It's true. And then, so you're going to gather,
1: and then what? Well, um, then I like to turn things into a sketch. Um, and a sketch is a little more formal, because now it's actually starting to take the shape of a piece. Um, normally, for me, part of gathering is actually gathering the structure. So if it's going to be a rondo or some traditional form, then you've got some idea of the form. I've got to have an A section, a B section, an A prime, a C section, an A prime prime. And you've got to start to have different sections. And so I like usually to think about form as part of the gathering. Like I have an idea of how many bars it's going to be, what kind of tempo it's going to be. I'll have usually written down what kind of emotions or feels I want to have. Like this part is tense and energetic and I I might jot down a tempo range that I think it's going to be inside this tempo range. Mm -hmm. And so as I think about then the structure of the form and where the different feelings are going to be and the different tempos, I might also start to do some things with scale sequencing where I'm starting to pick what's what I think the harmonic vocabulary or the pitch vocabulary could be through the piece. And so I'll usually have jotted down some ideas about that and maybe given a thought to how the modulation is going to go through the structure of the piece. And so with this, now I've got, I've got tempo, I've now got form. I've now got pitches like our pitch families. I might have intervals that are interesting to me inside of those scales and those scale types, all of a sudden the page is looking not very blank. And I might have some melodic ideas and some other things. And so now it comes time to actually say, okay. And I'll usually have said, you know, I need to sketch, you know, 16 bars for this. Because what usually happens for me, and I think for many, is that you gather a few things and they turn into a longer sketch. Yeah. And you have a sketch and that turns into an even longer development. like your ideas expand over time as you live with them and as they you they interact with the other things that you're hearing and so i'll know that out of the sketch doesn't have to be the entire piece if it's going to be a five minute piece maybe i need two minutes of sketching or a minute and a half of sketching right and so i might say okay for the first theme i need to have 16 bars And so I have like the tones and the pitches and the tempo, and so I'll write 16 bars of maybe melody or theme. Uh, Maybe I'll try to sketch in the harmony underneath, and it might just be in whole notes. It might not be very interesting or have a real baseline, um, but I now know that I've got this melody and I've got this, and now I'm ready to start writing inner voices and things like that. And so I'll progress through the sketching process to make sure that my thematic material is really really good or as strong as i can make it or evokes the things that i want to do Um, and then usually then in the development you're going going to take this sketch and really start working on how does that get decorated and you get the little flute runs and the string runs and the little you know the things that transition between sections and the form starts to build out and as you're doing that you realize oh this is really interesting but i only said it one time it goes by the ear too quickly and it doesn't catch so I'm going to need to repeat that but now I need to repeat it differently and so how am I going to vary the instrumentation or how am I going to vary the 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 cadence or the harmonic rhythm to make it more interesting that when we do it the second time it's not a repeat the thematic material is repeated but it's actually different and worth hearing again and so those things then start to happen as you're moving from the sketch into the development for me
0: yeah well that's really interesting um let let me ask you because you mentioned other instruments flute mm. and that's it so would the first piece you write for this piano actually be orchestral or would you write it for only the piano and then orchestrate it
1: mm. i would probably write it for only the piano um you know the piano at least at first like to introduce it to the world um while a piano is capable of playing with other things the piano is also a solo instrument yeah. And it's an, op- it's an amazing solo instrument because it can play all the accompaniment, it can play all the pitches. Um, so I think the very first piece needs to be, you know, solo unaccompanied piano. Um, That said, I have a whole studio full of very rare and exotic synthesizers that are just waiting to play with the new piano. Um, (laughs) So, um, it is inevitable that the piano will also feature in, you know, orchestrations and synthesizers and full hybrid scores and, um, you know, all of these kind of things. But its debut is certainly going to be solo.
0: Well, this has been totally amazing, uh, spending this time hearing the whole story up to this part, and we're only partway there. So hopefully we can have a follow up uh talk because I know I know that there's going to be a lot more to say about this one of a kind instrument. I'm I can't wait to see it. I mean it's it sounds like the woods beautiful. It is. The
1: the um, It's going to be stunning in every way.
0: Stunning in every way. And I'm I'm actually also interested in in just getting Laura's take when it's finally delivered. Yes. <laughs> Well, thank you, Nathaniel, very much.
1: Yeah, it's always a pleasure, TC.
0: For taking this time. I love you, brother.
1: Love you too.